Don't make me turn this podcast around. You're listening to the Reno Dads podcast. We're dads talking about dad stuff. We're doing the dad thing in the biggest little city in the world, Reno, Nevada. But we're talking about things that all dads and parents can relate to. We'll share fatherly war stories, discuss manly things, and even get into the tender moments of fatherhood. We want you to be a part of the conversation, so join us and listen in. Oh, and be warned, dad jokes ahead. Hey everyone, it's Jonathan from Reno Dads. This episode has a serious discussion about suicide and other mental health issues. Clint and Joni, thanks for joining me. Um, it's really great to have you on uh, the podcast. Um, a lot of folks may not be familiar with you, Clint, and um, I'm hoping you could tell us a little bit about your um, your history as a hockey player because I know that Reno has just gotten its new uh, ice rinks, you know, started up, um, but it's not been a, it's probably not the biggest hockey town, so. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about your um, your career in hockey and you know how you got started. Well, I grew up in Canada, and uh, you know, uh, just aspired, you know, as all Canadian kids do, uh, to be an NHL hockey player, and uh, I attained that that dream and uh, played for you know a few different teams, traded here, there, and everywhere, and um, you know, I was very fortunate to play in the NHL. Um, you know, I didn't have that much talent, but I worked hard. Yeah. Yeah. What was, what are some of the highlights you think? I mean, if you were to look back, I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, there are great stories, but like, what do you look back on with the most, um, the most fond memories about the NHL in particular? Well, I could look around this room where I'm sitting here and I've got player of the week, player of the month. Um, uh, there's a clock here that was given to me for leadership, you know, and I go, Oh my God, I played in the NHL, but I was player of the month and <laughs> player of the week against Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux. That, that is, that's pretty, uh, cause I never was real secure. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, you know, for me to win these awards as the best player of that week in the whole NHL or that month in the whole NHL, that's pretty cool. But yeah. At, at the time it was real overwhelming. Cause like I said, I've, I've never been a real secure, uh, guy and, uh, I should be because I played in the NHL. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, it, it's sort of interesting to hear that. Cause you know, there's always that, that sort of idea of like, you've achieved so much and then yet you still feel this a uh, little bit of, I wouldn't, you know, maybe it's insecurity, but just a, a little no. bit of self-doubt, a little bit of self-doubt. No, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Insecurity, yeah. uh, not feeling good about yourself all the time. And yeah, I was that guy. I was that guy. <laughs> and you've done some coaching since then. Is that right? Or it, yeah, was I, it coached, also I, I, I coached in the NHL for probably 20 years mm -hmm. after, well, not, all in the NHL. I became a head coach in the minor leagues, then became a goalie coach, uh, Florida, Columbus, Atlanta, Calgary. So yeah, it, it was a, I had a good career as co of coaching too. Yeah. I was, uh, I, I moved here into Reno from uh, Washington DC. And of course, as soon as I left, just as soon as I left the caps won. <laughs> <laughs> and the next year, the Nats won. I mean, oh my gosh, I, we watched so much hockey. I, I, I actually met Ted Leonsis uh, back in uh, the day. Joni and I were in Washington uh, a couple of years ago uh, doing a thing for Wounded Warriors. And I, yeah. I could go on and on and on yeah. about, uh, you know, uh, our veterans and everything. And anyways, Ted Leonis 
knew I was a former cap and found out we were in town, invited us up to his suite and treated us like I sat I sat in that suite one time with um John Ledecky a long time ago who was really uh who was also a part uh, part owner for a time. Yeah, that was really a special treat. When you um when you look back on your career, of course, there's one, you know, sort of specific thing that kind of stands out. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that, um, that incident and, you know, really what, you know, what impact it had on your, on your life. Well, in 1989, I was playing for the Buffalo Sabres. We were playing in Buffalo against St. Louis and uh, uh, incident at the gold crease happened and uh, my jugular vein got severed by a skate and I was bleeding out uh, totally thought I was dying and I was had it not been for immediate medical attention at a big NHL facility doctors and you know everything I think even a lawyer came down <laughs> and uh, saved my life saved my life but I prepared for death and that led for a long life of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder yeah und- undiagnosed for 20 years and it, it really uh, it really screwed the rest of my life up, to, to be honest. Yeah. And you didn't play after that. Is that right? Oh, yeah, I did. I came back in 10 days and played. Yeah. You know, oh, okay. As soon as the stitches came out, I, I came back and played. You said it was undiagnosed for 20 years. So there was no like sort of care around the mental health, trauma, part. The mental health part of it at that not, moment. Right? There, it was never addressed. Right. Not a bit. And, and so you, you sort of live with this for, for 20 years. And, and how did you start to realize that that was a, a now something that you needed to deal with? Well, I, I was uh, having nightmares. I was uh, very depressed, very anxious, panic attacks. And, you know, I, I dealt with it through alcohol. And uh, that was my go-to to make me feel better, just, uh, just to get the crap out of my head just to numb my brain to just get away from it. And uh, uh, that led to uh, in 2007, I, 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 I shot myself and survived that suicide attempt. And, uh, you know, that PTSD, all that crap. I mean, I cannot tell you, and I know a lot of people can relate to PTSD or mental illness, whether it's anxiety or depression or whatever. But, you know, our first responders and military people really, really relate to the PTSD. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was going through a full bone and uh, led me to putting a gun to my head and shooting. And, and where that, were you? Where were you in all Where were you living at the time when all that happened? In Gardnerville. So you're, you're still yeah. right, here, right here in Nevada. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously... That, that was not a successful attempt. What happened right at, in the aftermath of that? Well, I, I you know, of course, was hospitalized uh, to get through the physical trauma. And then I was put into a rehabilitation center to deal with my mental illness that, you know, led to me pulling that trigger. And my substance abuse, which was alcohol, to cope. And, right. uh, yeah, that that's... Uh, and I was in there six months and it was a long six months. I can't even begin to imagine, you know, what, what a person goes through, but you know, what it sounds like is you had this incredible support coming out of there. Can you talk about how that leaned on the support system that you have and you know, who was there for you? 
Well, Joni, my wife, was very supportive. Uh, she she would drive there every you know other weekend or every weekend whatever they allowed. She would come, and she she would you know stay in a hotel, and but we had a visitation, and you know which was only a couple hours a day, and I cried probably for most of that time, and I think of myself as a pretty tough guy, pretty pretty tough hombre. Yeah, I was pretty crushed. I was absolutely destroyed. As well, the thing that I'm, I'm, I'm sort of really touched by is what you just said. You know, everybody who can imagine somebody, a professional athlete, playing in the NHL, tough as nails, being in the goal, um, getting through what you got through with respect to that incredible injury. You know, you think of somebody as, as tough as nails, as somebody who can, you know, whatever, 120 mile an hour slap shot coming at you and stand up to that stuff. To say those words about feeling vulnerable and, um, and emotional uh, and able to express that, how, how did you get to that? Like, I mean, that, you know, that's not something that happens overnight, but tell me or, you know, talk through a little bit about how you came to understand those emotions and how to kind of really deal with them. Well, I've always valued myself as a very, very physically tough man. Um, you know, I cowboyed, uh, rodeoed, I, you know, played in the NHL, I boxed, you know, but mentally, uh, I think I'm a midget. Um, I struggle, depression, anxiety, uh, panic attacks and all those things. So, um, yeah. And sometimes I wonder why I became so tough physically. You know what? I think I became tough physically to pr protect my soul to protect my soul. And sort of a compensation for exactly. not being able to really address some of the emotional things. So this is something that we talk about on, and we have talked about a few times on our show, on, on the podcast in particular. In fact, we had um, one of the coaches from the, um, the local soccer team. Those guys uh, were great. And, and one of the coaches had also had an, an attempted suicide a few years ago. And he's been talking about it out loud and you know talking about what it takes to to really understand your feelings and address them and not try to compensate for them in other ways and, and maybe uh, go out and, you know, do these other, you know, destructive behaviors. Some of them you've described already. Some of them, you know, can be, you know, really even a lot worse. Well, I think, uh, you know, there's a huge correlation between addiction and mental illness. Uh, if you're feeling, feel, and, and not even mental illness, uh, emotional distress, yeah, is is the other thing. Whether you're going through a divorce or a bad marriage, or uh, your kids are screwing up or whatever, you you don't cope, and so you turn to a substance which will numb you. Yeah, and yeah. give you and it gives you relief, and it gives and you that a, a temporary escape. Yeah, and a lot of people, uh, men, can relate to that. Yeah, and and it, it it's what we do. Uh, you know, and it's sad, but it it's there and it's real. Yeah. And then you have to deal the other demon, which is if you do become addicted to alcohol or drugs, now you got two demons to deal with, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So, Joni, maybe you you could say a little bit about what you saw. You know, the change and how you've seen you know Clint change over the years. But you know, what was your sort of perspective on? on that, um, that time in his life, that crisis, 
how did you navigate it? I mean, did you have your own support system as well? I had my, my mom and dad were really good support systems. They were always there. They absolutely adored Clint. My dad treated him like he was his own son. So they were a good, really, really good support. Um, to, to know Clint, um, and you know, you're meeting him right now. I mean, he's a very, very giving person. Um, he's a very, all about you. He's takes care of everybody else. Very nice, very supportive. Um, so to see a complete change in him is what I saw. It's like, he, he just turned into this different person, a person who, um, at first I thought he's just being childish. Like what, what's wrong with you? You know, snap out of it. You kind of think, (laughs) but, um, he just started to become a recluse when people would come over. He was the life of the party. And then as soon as they would leave, he would become this person who had all this doubt in his head and it almost turned, it, it did turn into like groundhog day every day. Um, wow. you'd be fine for a couple hours during the day and then you could see him struggling all day. And then people would come over and they'd drink and they'd, you know, be on the horses and have fun. And then when he'd come in at night, his, you could tell his mind would start turning. He'd have questions, you know, and it was always questions about, do you love me? Why do you love me? And it was the same questions every night. And you couldn't answer right, wrong. You know, if you if you answer too quickly, he'd say, well, you answer too quick. It's like you had it rehearsed. And if you answer too wow. slow, he'd say, well, you kind of thought about it. You know, and if you said one answer one day and it was a little bit off from the next day, say, well, yesterday you said this. So maybe you really didn't mean what you said. And this would just go on and on and on and on until he just physically got so exhausted, he would go to sleep. And yeah. then it would start over the next day. And so that's when I thought, I don't know what's going on. You know, and I, at that point, I had no idea that, you know, what mental health looked like. I mean, you know what it, what people tell you it is and you know, you know, you see it on the street and stuff, but you really don't know what it looks like until you're living with somebody. And then you don't know what the substance abuse, how it looks when it's added on to it. So I was completely clueless. I mean, I just kind of took it one day at a time got a hold of everybody and anybody that I could that could give me any information. And when we tried to get him in to see a doctor, which around here, I was calling doctors from morning till night, you know, can you see him? Can you see him? Um, do you have an opening? Do you have an opening? Everybody said, nope, we're not taking new patients. We don't take your insurance or yes, we can make an appointment, but it was like three months out. Wow. Yeah. Well, what you've described is really just the the pain of being the you know the close observer of what's happening, you know, and the and also the closest sort of person who probably gets the brunt of having to hear all of it and be the almost the the you know the punching bag for it, you know, and that's the hardest part for the people who are in that you know in that role, you know, the family that's supporting and loves this person. Clearly, like you want more than anything to see them healthy and happy, you know, and then finally, you know, you know, unfortunately, and, and now fortunately to say that, it, you know, you were able to survive that attempt. And in, a, in the ensuing years, you know, how you're addressing it, obviously, from a physical and also mental, you know, through therapy and other and other means, how are you both addressing it for each other? I mean, it sounds like, Clint, now you're in a much better place and we're talking about it out loud. And that is probably one of the very first steps is to be able to say the things out loud that you're feeling and understand and put, put words around and give names to the feelings that you're having. 
Well, you know, I, I did great for many years and with therapy and medication and that. But, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. Right now, I'm not in a good place. I'm struggling with COVID. I haven't worked and since COVID and the depression is sunken in. The anxiety is there. I can't sleep. And it's all real. Yeah. You know, and that's what's so frustrating when I was doing so well and doing just fantastic mentally and physically and, and that and thinking, oh, I'm going to live the rest of my days feeling good, feeling great. And then this this happens and I'm right back in the hole again. And, uh, you know, I'm going to fight my way out of it. I'm not going to give in. But uh, it, it, it's it been tough. It, it is. Yeah. Well, I think I think given the yeah, the current situation we're all in, which a lot of it is very isolating. And, you know, clearly it's sort of the world sort of closes in on you and you can feel very um, alone. And that's part of the you know, the loneliness part of it, I think. I mean, obviously, if you have a partner that you're with and you can and you can really depend on that person. But again, if, if somebody spirals into a, you know, a kind of a cycle of, de- you know, depression and, you know, destructive behavior, you know, it's really one of those things that's, it's obviously hard to watch. It's hard to be around, but then it's especially challenging now because we're all in the situation where we presumably are trying to stay safe with respect to the, you know, the COVID situation. So one of the things uh, that, well, one of the reasons why we're doing the broad, uh, this podcast is to talk a little bit about some of the, um, programs here in Northern Nevada and NAMI is one of the ones that I know has been mentioned and I know that there's a, an event coming up, but um, what are some, what are some places that you've turned to? I mean, are there programs that you've turned to here in, in Nevada or like, what are some things that you've learned are, you know, available, you know, in terms of programs or. Well, we've tried different programs or, or counselors and that, and NAMI is awesome um, what they're doing and we're big, proponent uh, of NAMI. And, um, you know, it's hard because you got to connect with that counselor. You got to connect with that doctor. You got to connect with that um, therapist. And it's really hard. And a lot of people that are listening have maybe kind of done that and relate to what I'm saying. And it's hard. Uh, It's really hard. But uh, there is help out there. You know, I I today have made a an appointment with my psychiatrist because I'm struggling yeah, um, with everything that's going on and all those old feelings that I thought, Oh my God, I got rid of that depression. I got rid of that anxiety. And with my, w- what I'm going through right now and the insomnia, I, I had to be proactive and say, okay, and we don't want to do it. Trust me. We yeah. don't want to do it. And so I had to pick up the phone and try and make an appointment with my psychiatrist. I think maybe I need my meds boost. Uh, Maybe I need just to talk to him about all the crap I'm going through. Uh, Depression, anxiety, sleepless nights, like sleeping only two to four hours a night. That's not good. Yeah. You sleep deprivation, which affects your thinking. You're thinking. Well, I think a lot of people can relate to that, Clint. I mean, the way you've described it, I think, you know, I would be surprised if, you know, more people aren't, you know, sort of sh- struggling with just that, you know, just the sleep depra- deprivation types of things in the current environment. And what I'm really encouraged, though, by Clint, Clint is to hear you say the, the way you're being proactive about it. Like, 
right before you might not have even recognized it and known to give it a name. And that's what I think is really important when we have these conversations in the way that we're trying to, which is out loud and talking in a vulnerable way, putting this out there to say, I've had this experience and now I recognize it in myself and I know how to like take positive steps to address it. Yeah. Yes. But this being renal dads as men, that's so hard. We are, the rock. we are the rock. We don't want to be soft. I mean, I, I remember a couple nights ago, I was sobbing in bed and, and, you know, of course, Joni's going, are you crying? What's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm no, nah, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah. I don't cry. I do not cry. And, um, you know, so it, it's really hard for men and, and dads that are the leader of their kids and the family. And it is, it is, especially, you know, if you're the breadwinner, for example, and you feel like you've been emasculated by the fact that you might have lost your job in these, you know, current conditions and you feel like you're not providing and you're unable to do the things that, you know, you believe in your heart are supposed to be the most important part of being a dad and a father and a protector. But I will say that we've had these conversations and we try to continue to have them in a way that encourages dads to open up and be vulnerable and, and talk to somebody when they need it. No, I agree. It, it, it's hard to do, but we need to do it. If we yeah. just want to help ourselves, uh, be proactive, talk to your friend, talk to your brother, talk to your dad, talk to your best friend, Yeah, um, open up because it's something about being vulnerable. Uh, when you're vulnerable, it opens up, an avenue for, let's say I'm talking to a friend and he goes, Oh my God, I have those same feelings. And then you're overwhelmed going, you, you, you. Yeah. 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 When, when you, I mean, I have found myself in the last few years having these conversations uh, with men that I've known my whole life. And when I went through my sort of dislos dislocation here with you know, getting divorced um, you know, finding myself having to rely on those men for the friendship and support, I found that those men then turned around and became much more open and willing to share with me about what they were going through. Right. And I got to tell you, like, I don't want men to wait for that to happen. I want them to do it. I want men to find ways that they can open up to each other and be vulnerable and have those conversations because it's not a, it's, it's, it's not a weakness. In fact, it's really a strength because if you can open up to somebody and, and, and be that um, vulnerable. Well, I, I always call it, you know, when you're going through emotional distress or mental health issues uh, or mental illness, whether it's depression, anxiety, whatever you want to call it, um, it's not always mental illness. It's emotional distress. Sure. And you'd be surprised how many guys will go, holy crap, me yeah. too. Yeah. I can't believe you went through that. You're doing that. You're going through that. And, sure. and, and then you go, you are too. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. it's about being open, honest and vulnerable. Um, honesty is a good thing. Yeah. And it's hard yeah. to be honest with yourself first. Uh, but then once it happens, it kind of rolls into a friendship and a support. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm really glad we got to have this conversation. Um, it's, it's always, a, um, it's always a pleasure to find, um, men who are having 
you know, who have that ability and who want to, you know, sort of share their experience, um, especially with the Reno Dads audience. Um, and Joni, I know that this has been, I'm sure, you know, challenging, you know, period for everybody, but to hear the story and know that, you know, there's resilience in, you know, coming back from all of these things. And, and I, and I'm really, um, I'm touched by the, the story. Is there anything you'd want to sort of leave our, our listeners with? What, what would you say is like the most important thing that you would want them to take away? Just remember that the person is when you, you know, you hit those bumps in a road, you just got to remember, you know, as frustrating as you get, and you might even lash out and say things you don't mean, but just remember who that person is at heart. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I would, I would encourage uh, all our dads, um, you know what, if you're struggling and like I said, it might not be mental illness. It could be emotional distress, whatever it might be. You're not alone. You're yeah. not, you're not, it, it's a sickness. It's not a weakness. We all go through it and you're yeah. not alone. You're, yeah. you're not sick or, or you're not weak. You're sick and struggling. And there's so many of us that are doing the same thing, going through the same thing and having sleepless nights and worrying about our kids or divorce. Or, and I can't see my kid, you know, all these things. Sure. As dads, um, you know, I got, I, I got a kid in Australia and I got a kid in, uh, uh, Costa, uh, Costa Rica, Central America. And I got a kid local and, you know, I worry about him. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. And I lose sleep. I, I do. I've lost sleep uh, over that distance and the emotional, you know, stuff that goes on with us dads. But I try to be the best dad I can. Am I the best dad? Hell no. I try to be. Um, I try sure. to, learn, you know, I, 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 I grew up with, uh, uh, an abusive alcoholic father and I'm, I want to break that chain. I don't want to be that abusive alcoholic father. And I don't think I have been, but there was times when I was drinking, I think I was. Yeah. And, and you know, so I just want to be a good dad. Uh, I want to take care of myself and get through the emotional distress that we're going through with all this, you know, crap with COVID and everything. So, you know, I would just say, you know what, pals, you're not alone. You're not alone. We're all, we, we all are going through some flavor of it. Some, some further into the depths and some for, you know, some are kind of, you know, pretty fortunate, you know, maybe not having as, as many, um, you know, sort of acute problems. But what I like, I like what you said, Clint, because I think, what it says to me is, and I think people need to, re, you know, recognize this is that sort of like when you're on the airplane and they say, you know, attend to yourself before you attend to your, you know, whoever's next to you, you do need to take care of your own sort of mental state wherever you are in order to be able to, you know, be that supportive person for whoever's around you. You're, you know, if your kids are still with you or if they're, you know, if it's just and, you. And, and, and you know what? That's not always easy. Yeah. Because we're struggling, right? but we need to get well to help others. Yeah. yeah. And it's a hard battle for us to get well too. Yeah. I, I, you know what, I, I'm really, I really can't thank you enough for coming on and, and chatting with me and, and, you know, telling your story around, um, you know, what you've been through and, 
for the Reno dads who get to listen to this and, and the rest of our audience. We'll put some links out there for people to click on because we, you know, we will promote a, a story and um, make sure that they can, you know, our, our audience and our listeners can, you know, learn about where they can get some mental health resources here in the Northern Nevada area. And I know that there's some events coming up, but we'll make sure that everybody knows about too. So Clint and, and Joni, thank you so much for being on. Thank you, sir. All right. You've been listening to the Reno Dads podcast on renodads.com. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Stop by renodads.com and click on contact us and let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear on our show. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Reno Dads and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us. We hope you'll join us here next time and we'll see you online at renodads.com. <laughs>